note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Just like his heroes in the old samurai movies, Kurosawa's later career emerged from the wilderness to prove there was still one last fight in the old man, and he was going to show everyone that he cannot ever count the old master out. And it wasn't just one more fight. Rejuvenated by the success of Kajumisha, he would go on to make five more films in the 80s and 90s, cementing his place in movie legend. One of these movies was Ran, an incredible, ambitious and spectacular epic, and one of the bleakest of his careers. But this isn't bleak, this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast on adventure to watch a century cinema decade by decade, year by year, and I am one half of your hosts, Liam, and with me is... Hello, I'm Ollie, and I want to congratulate you on saying Kurosawa's name correctly. <laughs> you didn't put, like, three Gs in it. <laughs> I might have written it out phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> but one, I think I've got the film said wrong. Kajul Misha, Kajul Misha. Okay. That one I was worrying about, I don't know. People know yeah, what that, that's that fine. The, the 1980 fine. one or whatever it was. Yeah, 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 the first one. And this one is Ran. I said Ran last week, but it's Ran. Because so. he considers that like his, um, his not early attempt at doing this film, but like his kind of like, I can't think of what I'm trying to say. Um, oh, like a dress rehearsal. Yeah. And that he was able to secure backing because of the success of... Uh, yeah. Of... Uh, Kegimusha. It was like he had a pair of films and he wanted to kind of tell both of them or something. Or, yeah, something like Anyway, how are you? I'm okay. It's a, a sleepy quarter past nine on a Friday and we're we're recording podcast and it's now winter so it went dark hours ago, which sucks. Well, I guess it's not winter, it's fall. Yeah, autumn. Autumn. Oh, I yeah. know. Oh, I'm terrible. Also, do you want to feel old? No. So today marks, as of recording, the 30th anniversary of Nevermind and Blood Jugger Sex and Magic coming out. Oh, cool. And I'm sure there's another album that came out on the same day, but I can't remember what it is. Anyway. <laughs> to be fair, that doesn't make me feel that old because I don't remember either of those albums coming out. I do because my sister had them both. Uh, I think my dad bought Nevermind. I think. Your dad had like every CD known to the human race though. Well, yeah, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> that's why I loved going around to your house as a kid though. There was always music on all the time. And it was it was nice. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice. How are you, Ollie? I'm good. I'm good. I'm quite upbeat this week because I got to see one of my favourite bands live and it was like, I think the first music event I went, I've been to in like 18, 19 months now. Oh, so that's, wow, yeah. that's good. So who is it? Ah, oh, I went to go and see Genesis. <laughs> what? No, you didn't. I did. I went to go and see Genesis. <laughs> I did like Genesis for playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, their, it's, it's called The Last Domino, so it's their last ever... Well, I mean, they said that back in 2007, it was their last ever tour. Yeah, but it's kind of like horror franchises. If there's not a, a film in the middle <laughs> that's called The Final Chapter, then it's not. you haven't done it properly. Yeah, that's true. But um, this is definitely going to be their last. I mean, Phil's not in the best of health. Like, he had to sit down through the whole show. Oh, no. Uh, so he wasn't playing drums. But his son was playing drums. So I guess by by relation, he's there's still... Phil's still on the drums somehow. Um, but, like, <laughs> it's... But it was ace. Like, like okay, they, they're not in their prime anymore. Sure. I mean, they must be, like, 80 or something. <laughs> nah, they're, like, early 70s, I think. Okay. 
You know, I've read a lot about people saying they're kind of like sullying the Genesis brand by kind of coming back out when they're 70 and probably not at their peak. But I think there's something to having a bunch of 70-year-olds like rock out on stage and kind of like living their best life. I think it's quite endearing, to be honest. And, you know, like I said before, they've put on a great show, so I don't know. And they played some of my favourites, like Mama, where uh, Phil sounds like he's on a a 20-a-day smoking habit. (laughs) Uh, Land of Confusion, Home by the Sea, which is an amazing song. Um, Firth of the Fifth, Domino. Yeah, all the good ones. Oh, cool. I was kind of hoping that Peter Gabriel might pop up wearing his Sunflower costume at some point just to surprise us, but (laughs) he didn't do that. Um, So it was like, it was Genesis, like proper, like, um, Phil Genesis. Yeah, it's like late 70s, 80s era genesis yeah, yeah. Like, well phil phil was always in genesis he was on the drums wasn't he originally and then peter gabriel oh, okay. was on vocals. Yeah, and then point. then eventually like they just peter gabriel left then another guitarist left and there was just a, a trio like a but, sledgehammer um, came bashing through the band <laughs> to get it I made i've fun. had I've, going back to your dad though i remember having many conversations with your dad about genesis because he was very much a big fan of peter gabriel wasn't he yeah you totally he loves all yeah. he loves all that, that prog stuff and things yeah yeah but um, it was a fantastic show, like I said. They're getting older, so they're not in their prime, but for however old they are, they like, it was awesome. I really enjoyed myself. And like, I, I'm cool. not a person that kind of lets myself go at shows and just sings or whatever. I just kind of stand and nod. Yeah, sure. But this, I was just full on belting out every <laughs> tune, probably annoying everybody around me. No, it's about time he did it. I've been to so many gigs with you and you stand there like a monolith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of uh, air drumming and air guitaring around me I wasn't one of the air guitarers or drums this time but uh, there was a lot of people doing the Phil Collins fills and stuff like that all around. Is, but, yeah, um, but, is Easy Lover did you play that or did you not do any I no, guess you, that's do... that's Phil Collins solo isn't it solo, yeah, it was just all Genesis yeah. but they did play some Peter Gabriel stuff and Phil sang oh, cool. those that's so, cool yeah. I mean, they're a band that have got songs that are like 15 minutes long, so just right. But 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 like all prog songs, they pretty much are like three songs, and they pretty much just like put together. So they don't. Say, it's not like the same song non-stop for like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's like um, like acts or something like. Yeah, almost move, yeah, movements. Yeah. That's what they call it, isn't it? Movements in music. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah relate everything yeah. to film because I'm that basic <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Phil was also like a uh, big person growing up in my family like because my dad always had Phil Collins or Je- uh, Phil Collins Genesis era playing in his car and my oh, yeah. sister was obsessed with the film Buster I've never where seen he, that it's yeah. where he plays one of the great you know the train robbers I think uh, oh, what's her name is in it Julie Julie Walters Judy, Judy Walters yeah yeah, apparently, like, I haven't seen Buster since I was a kid, but apparently it's not a very good film, but I just remember it being <laughs> on a lot. And he's also in Hook, wasn't he? Like, briefly. Is, is he in Hook? Yeah, he plays, like, the police officer that comes around to investigate when the kids get, like, disappeared. No way, does he? Yeah. No way. That's so weird. I'm not sure if he's yeah. in anything else, but yeah. He's in quite a lot, really, because, yeah, he plays Inspector Good. That's a great name. He's in Booster. 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 Pa- <laughs> Apparently he was cut out of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
Really? We must have been like a kid in that, though. Yeah, it says Bulgarian child, so I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> child. He was in Frauds. Don't know what that is. He was in And the Band Played On. Don't know what that is. So he was um, like a child actor then? Yeah, apparently. Oh, interesting. He was in A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> wow. <a> <laughs> I think he was just in a crowd. I, th- I think it's a bit much to credit him in that. <laughs> I, think, I think there were a lot of kids in the crowd in that. He was a voice in Bolto. Yeah, everyone remembers Bolto. The dog film cartoon. Yeah. Well, Wolf, but yeah. Was he a wolf? Well, they're relationship. Uh, <laughs> he he was a voice in Jungle Book 2 with Hayley Joel Osment playing Mowgli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good casting there, Disney. <laughs> So anyway, how have you been this week? You already asked me that. I'm fine. Did I? You're good. Have you been up to anything then? God, have I been up to anything? Not really, because um, I'm moving because uh, of things. So I've spent the week trying to organise all that, and I've got nowhere with it. <laughs> so Because um, finding an apartment and finding a housemate and, and all the rest of it is a nightmare thing that no one should ever have to try and go through. So that's my fun at the moment. So you haven't found anyone just as of yet? No, there have been some, a couple of great apartments and great people, but every like the three people I've kind of messaged, you know, I've gone like, hello, I would like to live with you. Um, one of them, only one of them got back to me, and it was a very, very polite no. <laughs> oh, okay. But, and the other two haven't got back to me. So, so anybody listening in the Brighton area uh, <laughs> yeah, who sure. needs a housemate or whatever... <laughs> Uh, just uh, drop us a line at Twitter. We are at adjust your track with a YR, not a your. <laughs> hey, dropping it early before people drop out the episode. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, so, you've been watching anything in your busy week? I have watched Bugger All because we only recorded on Monday. And um, yeah, I haven't watched anything. <laughs> I've watched a bit of a BBC TV show called Vigil, but that's about it. What's Vigil? It's a, like a a, myst- a murder mystery whodunit by the makers of uh, Line of Duty, but it's set on a submarine. But it's one of these okay. submarines that can't like they're constantly can't slow down. Like, yeah, they can't. They can't slow down. It's like <laughs> it's like speed. But no, they can't like really come up to the surface because they've got to constantly be on patrol and like be hidden and not okay. to like detect any like uh, enemy threats or whatever. But um. It's all right. I mean, I find a lot of. I've 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 already gone on this rant before that I just find a lot of TV serialized TV stuff a bit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's all right so far. It's something to watch when you're having your tea. Yeah. Okay. It reaches those lofty heights. Yeah. That that's all I've watched. What about yourself? Okay, I've got a few to go through. New releases, as always. Um, I try to just stick to the new releases on these. Um, I watched The Guilty. which the Guilty. Um, Remake of a Danish film that was, I think was also called The Guilty, but I can't remember. Okay. Um, directed by Antoine Fuqua. And oh, it okay. stars um, Jake, Jakey G uh, as, a, as, a, like a, um, as an emergency call person, whatever they're called, dispatcher. Yeah. And uh, and basically, you, you, it's just him and phone calls throughout the whole thing, really. And then the people in his office, and some basically some calls that he's taking start escalating, 
and he starts getting really caught up in it and you start learning why he's a dispatch officer and not out on the streets because he's clearly a cop and stuff like that and it all kind of weaves in and stuff like that really do you recommend um, it i thought it was okay actually it's getting quite sniffy reviews i mean it's only playing at like festivals at the moment but i think it's going to be on netflix okay um it's getting quite sniffy reviews but i was like i thought it was okay actually i was all right with it um i don't know maybe if i watch it again i might be like oh okay it's not that good but i don't know i thought um i thought it was quite captivating well as long as the film entertains you then that's all it needs to do that's like yeah. it's bare bones as long as anything more is a bonus so you know i think it's one of those things that like Hall's character is really horrible really Right. And uh, I think because you're being asked to spend all that time with him, I think maybe that's been an issue for people. I think maybe. Right. Okay. Um, I also watched. Uh, so it's a film. Vim Vendors, a film he won't like. No, he'd like champion. it as a white person's thing. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched the sequel to Escape Room, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Oh, see, I actually found the first one quite enjoyable in like a yeah. campy kind of silly way. But how's the I sequel? The same. It's not so as good as the original. It's not. Right. I, I like. It's just like a lot of sequels. It feels like it's treading water a bit, and it tries to open the world up a little too much. Um, I had the moment about God. It must have been twenty-five minutes in. I think I might have referenced this before, but you know the episode with Poochie in The Simpsons. And the one thing that Homer creates, the cartoon Yeah, the, the, the rapping yeah. dog, yeah, to yeah, put yeah. into Itchy and Scratchy. And the Itchy and Scratchy episode opens with Itchy and Scratchy in a car driving down a motorway. And there's a sign on the road that says, like, Fireworks Factory. Um, I don't know, Fireworks Factory 200 miles away or something like that. Um, and uh, the, the Fireworks Factory sign keeps getting lower and lower and lower, like, you know, next right, 100 metres and something like that. And then Poochie interrupts the film and like Millhouse yells, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Um, yeah. I kind of had that with this film. Okay. I kind of had, look, when are they just going to escape from a room? I just want an escape room. I'm, I'm bored of the world building. I just want them to just stick them in the escape room. That's what I came here to watch kind of thing. Um, well, this but is overall... If if I remember the end of the first film, the two people survive. They kind of they're like we're gonna get our revenge on the company that yeah basically kind of yeah. put us in this uh, predicament. And then if I watch the, if I'm correct, the trailer makes it out like the aeroplane they take is like um, an escape room as well or something uh, like that. Is that spoilers? That is spoilers, but I, that is spoilers. <laughs> It's in the they trailer. Yeah, but I don't th- remember what happens with the plane. The plane's not is a big it, plot detail. Is it kind of like a thing where is it like you don't even know what escape room is anymore? It's like it's it's like, yeah, that's what they're building up. Like escape yeah. room within an escape room within an escape room. Yes, that's kind of what I was getting frustrated by. Is like right, they got okay. they get so paranoid they think any room they're entering is going to be an escape room kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the in- the start of the film really. I forgot um, if I asked you last time. Have you ever done one? No, I haven't. No, I haven't done one at all. We should, we should do one. They're quite fun. Are they? Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I did one for James' stag do. I enjoyed it. No, I've never done one. Maybe one day. 
I'll escape from a room. But now I'll just you're, be paranoid that they're trying to kill me. You want our friend Maskell in there? I think he'd be good. Yeah, I think he would be good. <laughs> <laughs> it's this type of thing. Yeah, Whereas I think I'd just get a bit bored. <laughs> you can tell when you're doing a bit shit, though, because a speaker will come over and be like, why don't you try in that corner over there? <laughs> Have you tried looking under the phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and be like, shut up. <laughs> not that dumb. And speaking of, I don't know, that's not a transition. I also watched <laughs> Dear, Dear Evan Hansen. Ooh. Uh, oh. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's fucking calamitous. Oh, is it really that bad? Yeah, it really, really is that bad. And like, I, I liked the play. I went to go see the play. Um, I had a good time. Thought it was fine. It's themes of the film. Fuck it, the films of the, the sorry, I should say the films that the, there. The themes of the story are kind of fucked up, um, and I don't. I think they were a less of an issue in like 2014 when it was written, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but also, kind of, I think the world of the stage and the setting of it and placing of it on stage is a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more... I think it's actually funnier. I think it's lighthearteder, and it's more kind of set in a lesser real world. Like, the stage setting is more, like, in people's heads. It's, like, imaginary spaces and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think it just reduces the kind of fucked-upness of what you're watching, really. It's a bit um, more forgiving to the kind of... The yeah, scenario. forgiving. It's very different when, like, you know, you've got close-ups and you're stuffed in a room and, and stuff like that with the other actors and... The camera's panning to them all and Evan Hansen's sitting at a table just like singing on his own with no there's barely any choreography in it like so right. it's just very very static with him sitting there singing and it's really weird and cringy and horrible really uh, and it really f- punches you in the face with the full force of the fucked upness of what you're kind of watching where I think when I saw it on stage I you felt that but it just wasn't as much of an issue it really wasn't. Um, also, the decision to have Ben Platt in the lead is so spectacularly incorrect. <laughs> a 30-year-old man playing a 16-year-old or something. Yeah, and whatever they've done to him as well. I, maybe he's had some work done, which is fine, but I think sometimes if you have a bit of work done, like Botox and stuff like that, it can actually make you look a bit older. Oh, yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that coupled with the lighting of him like the whole thing is lit like a drum and everyone takes it so fucking seriously like like there's so much lighting of him from like below with these harsh lights that just kind of make him look like a fucking sociopath and his whole (laughs) performance his whole performance is so tightly wound and so like um yeah tightly wound and twisted that it feels like he's gonna fucking snap at any point like it feels like he's gonna bring a bomb into school kind of thing that's what his performance feels like and that is so wrong for what the the like it's so wrong to let you enjoy the film that's the problem with it 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 really heightens how messed up he is and and instead of making him look like a kind of stupid and confused teen that's kind of stumbled into this thing that he can no longer unravel himself from it makes him look like he's machiavellian and scheming it and it and it it's really messed up really (laughs) yeah it's an it's a it's a calamity with with Ben Platter's looking 30 years old in high school like, compared <laughs> to everyone else. It just, just makes it worse. And and kind of like Cats, 
you know, like when you watch cats, you never fucking stop going, God, look at them. <laughs> All the way. Yeah, it's just too distracting. It's, it's the same with Ben Platt. You never get past it. You know, like, even towards the end of the film, you were like, fucking look at him. <laughs> what did they do? Like, how did they think this was going to work? And the ridiculous thing, Ben Platt has been like, the fans wouldn't accept anyone else in this role apart from me. And it's like, bitch like your boyfriend did this on stage <laughs> like, like what do you mean like there's been like so many people doing this like how have you got that egotistical about that role it's so stupid no i think caroline's it. caroline's gonna want to watch it because she's listened to it quite a lot and she likes the uh the song she I keeps singing this song, she sings this one about um oh is it like a a baseball mitt uh, that's not in the film. It's cut. Oh, is it not in the film? <laughs> yeah. They cut that one to break in a glove. Just, she keeps singing that. And I was like, she, when she kept singing it, I was like, are you singing some sort of emo song from like a pop punk emo song from like the early 2000s? But no, yeah. that, I had to coax it out of her and I was like, what are you singing? And she's like, oh, it's from Dear Evan Hansen. It's definitely off its time. That's the again the problem. Like, it's. It, you know, it was written about 2014. It was heights of like kind of, I don't know, Tumblr era. And this really fits into kind of like Tumblr era kind of teen stuff. And mm, I just like, I think in, now it feels really weird. And just, you'll see it as well. Just the whole setting, shooting, production, the lighting, the, the ca- decisions on the camera, decisions of Ben Platt, Ben Platt's own decisions, they all just mount up to something that's really disastrous. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to watching that then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think that I do, I did enjoy it when I saw it live. I think it has good fun songs. Um, I think it's okay. I just think that it's the whole setting and production of the film has fucked it up. And I think there was a way to do this. It needed to definitely look like Clueless rather than look like um, we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Which is a very weird decision. It's just they all take it so fucking seriously. And I was like, I remember I was sitting there going, I remember when I saw this on stage, there was laughs. <laughs> Where have they gone? <laughs> I mean, you've got a bit of levity. Quite a lot. Because it's quite a heavy subject. You've got to have some levity, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. You have to. Otherwise, it oh, it gets all messed up, really. Those are my watches this way. Oh, I did actually watch. I've also, um, because we've had the last day of summer. Yeah, we have, because it's now the first day of fall, because yeah. September 21st is last day of summer, like the song tells you. Um... I uh I watched all of Gravity Falls. The twenty. You watched what? Sorry, <laughs> I watched all of Gravity <laughs> Falls. And uh, Gravity Falls. Yeah. What's Gravity that? Gravity Falls, the cartoon. Is that on Netflix? No. No, it's a Disney cartoon. It was on Disney. It was on Disney Channel back in like okay. two thousand and twelve or something like that. Oh, I have not and, like, heard of this. It's only two seasons, but because it took like six months for them to make an episode, it ran from like 2012 to 2016 or something like okay. that. Okay. And uh, the the Alex Hirsch, the like the creator, kind of actually ended it. He had a story he wanted to tell and ended it at, at nice. you know the point that he wanted to end it. And it's um, oh, it's so good. I fucking love it, <laughs> and I really recommend it. You'll storm for it if you put it on Disney. Um, and it's it's a total kids show. There's, there really is. It's a total kids show from like that from 2012 or whatever. That's fine. I love Adventure Time and stuff. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's incredibly one, uh, watchable. What was the other Steven Universe? Is it Steven Universe? Yeah, that's yeah, totally. great as well. And uh, 
I found out as well that because Owl House is getting a lot of press now on Disney, and I need to watch that. And I found out it's Alec Hirsch's um, girlfriend actually, and she worked on Gravity Falls, so that's kind of cool. So I need to go into that now and kind of find it. And see Owl what House, like. Owl House, yeah. It's meant to be really what, good. What was this thing that popped up on on the interwebs the other week, where there's this guy and he's like, he's like talking to the camera, and he's like, I think he's like a, a presenter or something on an old kids Disney kids show or something. Blue's Clues. Yeah, what is that? Yeah. What was? <laughs> Don't you remember totally... Blue's Clues? <laughs> no, I, I never had Sky or anything, did I? So I like. Oh, uh, yeah. okay, yeah. So, um, explain to me what that was all about, because everyone was going, "I'm crying right now." And I'm like, what's, what's, what's It did make on? me a little bit teary, if I'm very honest, because it was quite sweet. But um, Blue's Clues was a proper kids show, like a really, really proper kids show, um, where like. You just had one presenter in a cartoon house and he would talk to the screen and he had a pet dog called Blue and there was like they'd go on adventures. And it was basically like as you say, Blue's clues. There'd be something like, Where's the apple hidden? And we'd like kind of Blue would run around the screen trying to find out clues where the apple's gone or something. And all the time the presenter would be talking to you, like straight to the screen. Okay. So it what, wasn't what like are, So what age is these aimed at then, like? Oh, I don't know, it, like toddler, up to like seven or something like that. Maybe younger than that, probably. And it was you, proper. You wa- like, I saw it because it was it? always on. I was yeah. gonna say because it started in '96. We were like '96, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was always on. Like, so I saw a lot of it because it was always on, frankly. <laughs> but it was a proper kids show. It was you know, like a, a properly aimed at like CBBS kind of stuff. Right. I'll tell you which one I used to like, just purely for the facts of the the creep, the costumes. That was it, the bear in the big blue house. I don't think I know that. I think it was like uh, I think it may have been by the um, Henson Company. Okay. And uh, yeah, just to have to look it up. That's what I thought it was all about at first, because it was Blue's Clues. I was like, is that anything to do with Bear in the Big Blue House? <laughs> but no. Uh, that was after Blue's Clues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen this before. That is proper Henson. I think it's Henson. I'm not sure. It does look it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, this is just two people looking at things on the internet. Yeah, talking of <laughs> kids' shows from the nineties. Right, should we get into today's uh, main event? We can do. Yeah, why not? All right. So, what uh, are we so talking about a- today, then, Liam? We are talking about the 1989 film Ron.
Directed by Akira Kurosawa. I'm going to keep saying it because I think I've got it right. Um, <laughs> from 1985, I think it was. So it's right in the yep. middle of our little mini series, actually, isn't it? Right, the smack bag in the center. What did we do for 85 instead of this? Was it Vagabond? No. Oh, uh, maybe it was. Yeah, that I was think around it was then. Vagabond. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Ron focuses on actually Ollie. Why don't you do it? I always do the plot story. Why don't you do it? Oh, no, don't do this to me. I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, God, I'm going to... All right, let me give it a go. So it's basically based around an elderly warlord who decides to, like, divide his kingdom between his three sons. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's the bottom... That's the, the premise in a nutshell, I guess. That's it, really. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's like insanely simple, to be honest, for like a three-hour yeah. film. <laughs> but it's like it's kind of loosely based on King Lear, isn't it? And I think like, um, is it like the I can't pronounce it. Diomeo Morari. Ah, oh, this is Mon- <laughs> Motinari, which are like uh, feudal warlords, weren't they, or whatever, from the yeah. like tenth century. And they all own dif- different um, areas of Japan, I guess. Yeah, Grand Nippon. Um, I will push back on the King Lear thing. This is this has been all my research. Like, I think, I th- like because I'm trying to find like Kurosawa in his own words, loads, and uh, we'll get into his his career because I think it's really cool that we did Rashomon, which is basically his breakout film uh, internationally, not in Japan, and but and then like. Now, that was the 50s, and now we're all the way in the 80s, like 30 years later, and we're getting his kind of final films now, and this was his last grand epic, so we almost did like his breakout and his last last kind of like hurrah, really. Not his last film, he did a number afterwards, like, but um, I, I think it's a really cool book ending, actually, to investigate the guy with, and I'm kind of, I think that's kind of fun, especially with his kind of career, because he has like an up and down mental thing. But I was looking for like, his own words and stuff. And the thing with this script is he wrote it in the 70s uh, because he was reading all about uh, Moni Mo- Mo- Motonari. Nari, yeah. Mori Motonari. And he was reading about how he was a grand, grand, like, war- like warlord in, in feudal Japan. And he had these um, three sons, I think it was, or two sons that he kind of gave the kingdom to. And that's just how the uh, how history progressed, really. But he was obsessed with the idea of, like, uh, like despair <laughs> really. um, well, I think he, in, he just ups- thought like what would happen if they went bad I think that's yeah. what it was he was obsessed with um, nuclear war that's what he was obsessed with he was thinking about nuclear war all the time uh, I think a lot of people who lived through World War 2 in Japan would be well and, I guess uh, like you know this is like how many years late since then was it 30 years probably what 30, 40, yeah. 40 years since and I guess you know like I guess like how 9-11 like change cinema for like 20 years in america like things like that are gonna i don't i think if like, you, yeah i think if you live through like world war ii that never goes away yeah. Yeah. yeah um and i think because the specter of nuclear war didn't go either it wasn't like because we dropped the bomb that was the end of it you dropped the bomb oh, yeah. on on japan and then it was the whole of that latter part of that that century was about fucking nukes <laughs> really like mm. um so i think he's thought about it a lot and he just wanted to bring that kind of despair of nuclear warfare into the history he'd been reading, basically. So it was just like, what if 
his sons weren't actually good people to pass the kingdom on to and what would actually fall apart. But yeah, he said it was pretty much a metaphor for nuclear war and anxiety of post-Hiroshima. Yeah. And like saying that all the technological processes of the last 20th century have just made it so that we're more efficient at killing each other. Yeah. Him actually finding King Lear was later than the script he wrote. He like he wrote the script in the 70s and then in the 80s he found King Lear and realised how much it suited his story and and started kind of weaving Just elements t- in. Yeah, that's fine. So it's definitely has got some like elements of it though. Like yeah, woven, yeah. So I think it's fair to say. I wouldn't say it's like you said. It's probably not fair to say it's based on it, but it's definitely. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's got some inspiration from it. Yeah, like woven into the fabric. I think the- that's fair to say. I'm only pushing against it because I think it's a bit. Um, I don't know. This might be a dumb thing. But I think one person said, I think like it looks like Sidney Lumet has been really pushing the idea that it's King, that it's his King Lear, and I don't know if that was Kurosawa's actual intention for it. And I think it's especially relevant when you're talking about someone who might not have grown up with uh, European literary background to their yeah to their it's kind of like- arts. It's not like Oh Brother We're Out though, which is like pretty much the Odyssey, isn't it? But it's yeah, not like, yeah. It's not like that. And it's not like Throne of Blood, which gonna... he did as well, which he did say was you know was was Macbeth. Like, so he does have yeah. that history of Shakespeare adaptation to him, but it just seems to be something that we're putting on him rather than actually the actual con- like the way the story came together. I think. Yeah. But, um, I just think that's interesting it's just like especially if you're covering a japanese kind of director i think it's to just be like where you're doing shakespeare might be a little dismissive i guess i just felt if that makes any sense mm-hmm. maybe yeah, i'm no. being too sensitive like um but the whole history of this film coming together is insane like um so like we'll go through it a little bit and i don't you, you might know a lot of this you might not but um so like um in the kind of it was it was really weird and post like in the 60s japan basically new wave in japan had this idea that um in the late 60s in japan had this idea that kind of the old altair directors who were worshipped in like america were not worth their money so like by the mid 60s japanese kind of um, filmmakers and audiences weren't willing to kind of uh, invest a ton of money in their great artists and um, they would just treat them no different to any director, any journeyman director, because it was that that was their new wave. Well, I guess and, um, it depends on what films are like popular at the time and what yeah. they made. Like you know, it's like the Western. Like you know, I guess like in the late sixties, seventies, they kind of fell out of favor, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and I'm totally. Guess, yeah. And I'm guessing you know, like you know, you know, proper epic kind of samurai films were probably kind of seen as a bit old-fashioned by that point maybe i don't know and just kind of I think so expensive yeah. old-fashioned i think that i think their way of doing making films was seen as old-fashioned as well it's very much like kind of the french new wave in a lot of sense like this idea of things can be done cheaper with diff- with younger people kind of do- looking at things differently really similar sort of like push in japan in the kind of mid to late 60s giant lizards that- <laughs> exactly <laughs> that hit kurosawa quite hard because he was the like the kind of institution really of filmmaking yeah, um, yeah. which led to basically him that kind of do you know the fast that around Tora 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 well I know uh, that he f- was meant to be one of because it's it was like kind of half 
American half Japanese, wasn't it, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And he was meant to be one of the directors, but he obviously didn't see eye to eye with the producers in some respect. I don't know what happened, but it, I know he was mental. fired. It, he wasn't just fired. It was mental. Like he, okay. um, he basically he was accused of being an unhinged tyrant by his crew. There was an instant where he demanded like the entire set was repainted like seconds before they were meant to shoot or something like, and they're already behind schedule. Uh, he got accused of being mentally ill and had like, and then got like not committed, but like he got um some like a doctor in America like uh diagnosed him with some sort of mental illness so it's one of these i haven't got it it sounds familiar doesn't it (laughs) it's one of these mental illnesses that um i don't think is an actual thing it was just something in like the kind of 60s 70s they would just say people have um it's not actually recognized as a particular mental illness um so he was basically accused of being insane and a tyrant and then just kicked off this film (laughs) um which is not good uh that really that really hurt him and from that like he uh he fell out with his kind of leading cast his like uh um mifune he fell out massively with him Did he? uh they st- their last film was redbeard together and they never made another film together was that um, big he flop? fell out was that was that the one that was i think redbeard wasn't a flop no i think redbeard was quite successful but they fell out of it after anyway um he then after Toro Toro, he made this little low budget independent film called uh Oh God, Dodukus. Uh, these are the things I just look written down. And they have to say them out loud. Dodusukaden, <laughs> Dodusukaden, um, and that was made so cheaply, and it still flopped. Uh, so <laughs> that was um, um, that wasn't good. That was 1970. He kind of fell out with his kind of um, uh, most closely. He's like production assistant as well, like the guy who worked with closely on, and. Um, kind of that th- and because he kind of his health started failing and stuff like that he basically attempted suicide in 1971 um quite properly attempted suicide like i don't want to go into details but uh which led to him just um taking year just disappearing for basically the whole 70s uh it wasn't until this is the stu- this is the crazy thing about all this kind of films how it all ties together and we seem to mention it every episode we record. There's a th- film that comes out in the late seventies <laughs> called Star Wars, <laughs> and uh, it's a it's a big science fiction film, right? Um, and it's influenced by it's a film by. called The Hidden <laughs> Fortress, which was made by Mr. Kurosawa. Like George Lucas was a huge Kurosawa nerd, but all the kind of new Hollywood people in the seventies were like Spielberg loved him, like Francis Ford Coppola loved him, Spielberg loved him, George Lucas loved him, like. I think um, particularly those four, Sidney Lumet, I thought you mentioned, yeah, uh, they adored Kurosawa films, like, and were basically like, where's Kurosawa gone? <laughs> like, I want him back. So they kind of sought him out, really. Um, and they were shocked that he was just completely unable to secure any funding in Japan. Like, he had stopped working. He'd been do- he'd done some small TV or something like that, I think he was shooting. So, like, George Lucas had him flown over in the late 70s the kind of San Francisco and just told him that like they were going to get him funding for a film what do you want to make and like him and Francis Ford Coppola put their names on the like production as well they put their own money up for it as well because they were very successful at that point and got him to kind of make uh, the film we mentioned earlier Kajumisha Kajumusha 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 
<laughs> I wish I, didn't have to, I wish I knew how to say that. Um, uh, which we talked you know, before. It's a it's a huge epic film. It's about like a thief getting into a royal court, and it's a samurai film and massively expensive budget um, and scope. It's over three hours long. I think it's longer than than Ran. And um, out of like nothing, it is. Yeah, it's it's twenty minutes longer. Yeah. Yeah, out of nothing, this was massive, <laughs> like um, a massive success, and uh, that kind of reignited the idea that this guy could uh, could shoot something, you know, like could actually be a um, you know, a, could actually regenerate his career and regenerate these epic films. So from that, they were they were like, "What do you want to make next?" And that's when he had Ron, which is the script he'd been bouncing around in the 70s that he wrote in the 70s about, you know, like you already said, a man in his latter career stumbling around the wilderness, um, being accused of being insane, being <laughs> accused of being like not in control of stuff, like um, very, very autobiographical, which is again why I think it's important to have to know those elements of the film rather than just say it's based on King Lear because it's so based on himself. It's so based. It's so like autobiographical, in and maybe his most personal film. I think Dreams after this might be more personal because they're actually based on his dreams. Um, but um, up to maybe up to this point, it seemed like one of his most personal films. And uh, Ron, even now, he couldn't actually secure any funding for Ron. Like Japan wouldn't fund it fully. So he had to go to a French studio to get the second half of the funding. And it was the most expensive Japanese film ever made at the point. It was something like 11 million it was coming out of. But uh, like um, France then uh, uh, partly funded it, some French studio, which was really... He then, at that point, he was basically living in, in France and Europe at that point to make this film. And uh, he... um, It was really weird then. When this film kind of came out, it got didn't get nominated for the film itself didn't get nominated for any awards um i think it uh i think it was Kajim, the, the the film before didn't win anything either in japan for some weird reasons uh but like uh it wasn't it, it wasn't as honored in japan as much as he was hoping it would be and then when it came to the oscar nominations because it was partly funded by france and and japan Neither of them submitted it as their film to the foreign language film. <laughs> so bizarre. So it didn't get up for either of those Oscars. And basically what happened is um, Sidney Lumet campaigned for Kurosawa to be um, nominated for Best Director, like himself. <laughs> he did the big campaign and pushed all the money to get him, to get him nominated. And that's where he got his nomination for Best Director for this film. Didn't win it, but... Um, he actually, you know, at least the film got nominated for something, got some sort of recognition, actually, and actually being uh, Kawasara himself. So it was a, a really cool kind of, um, not full stop to his career, but a good kind of, like, highlight, you know, of that kind of latter career stuff. You know, I've rambled on so much. <laughs> but have you seen, um, I think during the 70s and the early 80s, when he, obviously in his down period, I think he storyboarded the entire film, but they're like paintings. And if you look them up, they are incredible. I haven't seen them actually, are they? Honestly, I've they're heard beautiful. That... I'd love to have a few of them, like like prints or something, like and have them. Framed, oh, really? Because yeah. They look stunning. They look amazing. They're kind of watercolors, aren't they? Uh, yeah, pretty or, much. Or paintings, yeah. like yeah. I assume, I imagine he hasn't done shot for shot frame for frame storyboards i mean maybe he has but 
but maybe it's more just to get a, a, a feel of the tone and the color. I mean, color like is yeah, very color. important in, in this yeah. film, isn't it? And um, it really is. And especially the look of the of the you know the the elderly warlord. What's his name? Hid Hid Hidatora. Hid- on your own. Yeah. Anyway, um. that name. <laughs> he. Um, I mean, we'll get Hidatora? to it later on. But he's his face like transforms almost throughout the whole film. Oh, gets, yeah. It kind of gets more and more. It's it's very theatrical, but like it is, yeah, proper it's like Japanese theatre. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of is it called no n o h no yeah no no I, I don't know no. yeah yeah maybe no and, um, but yeah like and in his paintings or you can see all that in his storyboards like how he's like drawn all the characters and stuff like that it's great it's it's a film I think my main takeaway when I was watching it, it's a film that can only be made by a master. Like this is a film with, with that requires so much control of I mean, every element of it that it's, how, it's, it is like an old master coming back to do a film. It's, well, you know, it's, this is, is can't be made in another way. There are scenes with like 2000 people in a shop oh, incredible. and, yeah. and like 500 horses or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like 200, 500 horses, lots of horses. And there were lots of horses. You know, I've I've done like short films with two horses, and that's really hard. <laughs> I don't know how you go about doing stuff with that many horses. Like, it just blows my mind. Like the, and the the balls you can have to say, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna shoot this scene where loads of horses like run and people just like keep falling on the floor, like getting shot dead, and like there's one you know, shot people later falling off, like with horses galloping around them, and I know there's one blood and just. There's one in particular when they storm the castle, you know, the, you know, the, is it castle? Can you say castle? Anyway, the castle, fortress yeah, or whatever. Um, and I don't know if it's a, if there's a, a cut in between it, but someone literally falls off the horse and horses are jumping over the body. And I'm thinking, is that yeah. a real person or is that a dummy? I don't know. <laughs> like, like horses are powerful you know if a horse steps on you it would kill you <laughs> so like yeah, especially yeah. one jumping with the white landing on you Ooh. it's um yeah it's incredible uh it's just and bearing in mind kurosawa had incredibly failing health as well like i think he was blind in one eye <laughs> like, like not only that was, his, you know. his wife died in mid-production and yeah. he stopped yeah, she for did, a day yeah. to mourn and then carried on the next day carried on yeah it's uh it, it was it's a it's a it's a stroke of just like industrialness this film it's um it's incredible that it exists and i think my other takeaway when i was watching it it was like this might be one of the only times i'm ever going to see something like this they will never happen again ever like no way is any studio company saying yeah get two thousand people on horses to fight i'm trying to think of the last time that would have happened like I haven't seen Redcliffe, you know, by um, uh, what's his name, uh, John Woo. Okay, yeah. And I'm not sure how much of that would have been in camera and stuff because that's like a big epic Chinese film, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not sure how, like, I'm not sure of the grand scale of that. To be honest, I haven't seen it. I'm just no, I haven't either. Um, but I can't imagine that shooting something. And when was that made? Two thousand and four, maybe. Yeah. Um, I guess Braveheart. Two thousand eight. Like yeah, Braveheart's a good good shout actually. Yeah, Braveheart is a good shout because Gladiator was full of computer effects. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a lot of computer effects in there. And I mean, maybe like before that, you had, um, like, we've already talked about Barry Lyndon that had some big yeah. sequences, didn't it? Um, Barry, that was when I was watching this, I, I thought about Barry Lyndon constantly. That was yeah. the biggest thing that I thought it has in relation it's to any those film wide, those wide yeah. kind of, I like, I, I don't think and he the used those, I don't think he used those lenses, you know, those NASA lenses that Kubrick yeah. used. But apparently, when he shot scenes, he'd, He'd shoot a scene with three different cameras. Yeah, three cameras, at the same yeah. time with three different lenses, and three so different like, cor- um, three different um, cinematographers as well. Oh, really? So they each had yeah. a camera each. <laughs> that is insane. I'm sorry, but apparently he'd been doing that since the fifties. Apparently he started doing that on, Sam- on Seven Samurai. So that was just the way he shot, which is um. There were know. a few the, shots. The amount of I, effort. I, I wasn't sure if they were some sort of match shot or. Um, rear projection but there's some like where you see like armies like on the hill like really far in the distance you know the one that's a mm. decoy later on mm. and you see there for like four horses in the foreground i wasn't yeah, sure right. if that was somehow re- like rear projection or something because it looked amazing i mean later uh, on there's definitely some match shots with like burning uh yes the, the fortress burning and stuff but there's only a few and apparently and I think like, maybe the last scene with the um castle yeah, on the cliff yeah the last. but the the one the actual one on fire in the middle during the big battle that is oh my actually on fire <laughs> but that, um, just just that scene and you've got i don't know how many men outside you got men with like in yellow flags you got men in the red outside of this castle uh, that is literally on fire and then you have the main actor stumbling out of it yeah it's amazing um, it's i've never seen anything like that i just have like that physicality barry linden's the other one it is like of just that physicality of of epicness <laughs> i don't know you know that i don't know how other way to say it I mean, it's all physical it's all there it's all on camera it's um in crazy uh, it yeah master <laughs> so i keep coming back to this is you know this is when you let a master shoot a film this is what you end up with you end up with like linden you end up with Ron. well like, look he he's so well revered like there's a game called the was it ghosts of toshima which is on the playstation okay. and it's got an option in the menu called it's like it's called the kurosawa filter and you put it on and it makes the game look like a kurosawa film <laughs> no way i didn't know that <laughs> there's um and so, like some of the stuff that he did for this as well like you know he had them um like paint grass and paint trees and paint like the forests well, and well he had a scene where stuff, they, had like, to, they painted a field green uh, gold but they completely cut it out of the film yeah so that they, effort, not only that they had an artificial moon for it as well of course <laughs> they cut the scene but apparently that's in a doc you can see that in a documentary i think it's called um is that AK? AK, yeah. Yeah, um, I couldn't hunt that down. I've really tried, fr- but I couldn't hunt it down. I think it's a French documentary. It's probably If, not, if I remember, it? like, in the 80s, there was a lot of collaborations with, like, French and Japanese, like, animation studios. So I don't know if, if there was some sort of tie with France and Japan that I'm not aware of. Oh, maybe. That might be cool. Yeah, like was, had, like, Japan did put half the, half the money for this, so yeah. Because you had like cartoons like the Mysterious Cities of Gold and stuff like that, which were like co-financed by Japan and. I remember and that, yeah. And even Inspector Gadget as well. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's hard to. I think like like you were saying like the kind of plot of the film, because like the production is so just intense, is so massive, is is so 
overwhelming. I think the simple simpleness of the plot actually helps that. Um, Especially the intro, because the intro at the beginning, the first like twenty minutes is just there's only a few people in the film at the beginning, and it's just like in an open field and you think oh it's yeah. quite sparse actually isn't it is it going to be like this the whole way through quite quiet and but no it, it ramps up but it's really good in help set it like just kind of setting it all up for you so you know who yeah. the three brothers are the is it tango who's kind of the tango what's his name not tango what's his name <laughs> taro is it taro t-a-r-o hang on I, oh, you mean the okay? Yeah, Tango, the you know Tango. the advisor. Yes. Uh, then yes. you've kind of got the kind of like the the fool or the kind of you know the jester kind of character. Yeah. And then you who I think got, that's the most King Lear thing as well. I think that's one of the biggest things that come from King Lear. Also, really interesting casting, but I'm sure we'll get to that later on. Weird casting. <laughs> it's interesting though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but um. And then you've kind of got the two. I wouldn't say they're. Would you say they're rival warlords? Um, depends who you mean. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. you've got. Um, but, yeah, because they're coming to visit, and one of them wants to marry off their daughter to to one of the brothers, don't they? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like neighboring kind of like um, warlords or emperors or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got the, I think, because the. The, the the setting of the kind of film is he's dying and wants to give his lands out to his sons. So you got the three sons like Taro, Jiro, and, and Saburo. Saburo. Yeah. Um. And um. It's worth Taro's knowing. It starts kind of, off. It starts off with a boar hunt, doesn't it? Yeah. It's so kind I'm guessing of like the, a little celebration. Like yeah. So they hunting for like the that. food that they're going to have or something because they're kind yeah, of talking yeah. about the taste of the boar and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's and it's about like Taro. He's the eldest, and he's going to receive the first castle, and the others are going to get the second castle and third castles. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Hidatora, the old kind of warlord, is going to get his. He's going to retain the title as Great Emperor, and Jiro and Saburo are meant to support Taro in being the kind of like active ruler, basically like like father to son, um, and immediately what happens where well, he's doing the kind of the the kind of normal like if you put three hours together you can't break them kind of thing that's a great and, sequence um, though that is it is so he, and, gives, uh, he basically gives one arrow to the each of the sons and they, like, they break them easily and they you know put the three together they don't break but then the one saburo yeah he just breaks it with his knee he doesn't need to kind of like <laughs> kind of like saying that you know they will turn on you. Yeah, he goes. Yeah. He goes. You, you can easily break it if you just put effort in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also worth and, um, noting they're kind of coloured as well, aren't they? So one's yellow, one's yeah. red, and one's blue. And it's like a really simple way of kind of just knowing who's who and whose armies who throughout the film. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that yes. there might be some. I don't know if there's any historical reverence to that, or like if it's just just purely cinematic, just so it's like. I think it's Easy. purely production design. design I think the yeah. the person who did the production on this, I think, she, did she win the Oscar or did she, was she just nominated? But her efforts of the costumes <laughs> or whatever for this are oh, immense. You know, the suits like, of armour are awesome. Yeah, 
like and i think it would have been her kind of decision maybe to to be pop like coloring stuff that way um because i i found it confusing to watch so (laughs) yeah emmy wada um she won the academy award for best costume design yeah uh emmy wada well, because later um, on you get black flags and white flags as well, and you're like going, "Oh, who are these?" Who are these? I, sh- I assume they're the other two warlords that were. Um, yeah, like yeah. yeah, because the kingdoms are now crumbling and they're coming in to claim it, you know, because it's all in civil war. I think that was happening. <laughs> I think I have to say I watched this over maybe three sessions, so it's not the right. greatest way to watch a film. Um, but I, I struggled to fit it all in in kind of one one complete session. Um, so I, I got a bit lost, a little bit lost exactly what was going on with the kind of different people but because it is quite a a, quite a simple film quite a simple narrative i should say it wasn't too hard to just kind of sit back and watch like even if some maybe some of the complexities i missed and i could i could do with watching it again like um but the big thing that kind of happens is because sabaro breaks those three arrows they're kind of all shocked at him and then they're not just shocked because he's kind of speaking his mind but also it's kind of like he's he's just true he's speaking like unpleasant truths and no one needs to hear that right now kind of thing everyone's like comfortable in their kind of falsities and no one needs you riding on in with your fucking truth bombs and um what happens almost immediately after they uh give them kingdoms is they all decide to fight each other and um the big kind of you kind of got two elements, haven't you, that come into it now, which really is um, quite key to understanding it. Is is you have um, you have the warlord himself. It's kind of like the, his sins coming back onto him. Yeah. So Hid- Hidatora kind of loses his mind. Like you get that you've talked about it. The big that big fight scene in the middle. That not just fight scene, war scene in the middle of the film, um, which is like burning his castle to the ground and and i think going after taro is that right um and uh there and what happens in that scene is you just see the devastation of this like um of this world you know the the samurai are kind of the 16th century samurai are kind of confronted by this power of like the firearm and instead of it just being like sword fights, which you know you're kind of used oh, to, that's what I was film. quite shocked about, to be honest, because I was expecting a bit more, hand- more sword fight. Hand- yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, quite true to the era, which is not normally what well, people yeah. want to present. But quite true to the era, these people ride on him with firearms, and they are absolutely devastating. They're just sitting back and just shooting and killing people, like um, like mountains of them. And because they're in sedentary as well, it's setting fire to everything. So this warlord's castle just starts burning around him, you know. And no matter what he can do, you know, he comes out of his castle and sees that mountains of army, so he goes back in. Um, his um, he he goes to like his room with all his, I'm guessing, wives and concubines, and they're all like yeah. slitting each other's throats and, <laughs> and that's murdering that's, themselves. Like, yeah, then like committing seppuku like, or whatever, just kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, like we're done. Fuck this. Like, <laughs> we're, we're but done it's worth. It's worth knowing that it basically, I mean, because he gives all these like castles to his kids, that he doesn't have a place necessary of his own. So he, the idea yeah. is he'll go to visit each one and stay with them for a bit and keep going yeah. round and round and round until I guess the day he pops his clogs. But he's also got he's he's retained his army, so he's kind of got thirty men, I think, that kind of follow him yeah. around everywhere. So That's right. he goes to 
to uh, Taro. Who it is Taro gave, first, yeah. He gave power to. Yeah. And um, and he's got this wife, and what's her name? Is it Lady Lady Katie? Katie? Yeah, well, come to her. She's fucking amazing. And, um, you know, you find out that she, her family were murdered in this castle because this castle is one that he took over. Yeah. And killed all the people there. And I mean, pretty much all the wives and that that are married off to his his sons are all people that he's invaded or killed. Families. Yeah, they're all like yeah, they're all products of war. Um, That's what I really liked about this film is that like the, all the despair is you slowly learn that this guy that we're watching is a horrible warlord. He is oh, yeah, like a warlord, um, and all of his past crimes are coming directly to him. You know, it's it's all comeuppance. It's all karma. Um, it's all a product of him being the warlord that he was, but it doesn't directly show you that. It just keeps kind of, it just keeps kind of falling on him, like Lady, um, you know, Lady Kadai Kadai. Yeah. Uh, she, she, um, she's first. I think she's married to Taro, and then um, when Taro dies, she goes after the next boy. <laughs> um, she like proper him to manipulates kill. him, doesn't she? Like. Well, yeah, she manipulates yeah, yeah. both of them, really, doesn't she, really? She manipulates everything. She gets them to kill, try and kill his wife, Sue, which I thought was funny. That well, she doesn't try. Sue. She does. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it is try first, because I think my favourite scene is when the the leader of his army comes back to say that he, he killed Sue and this is her head, and he, he unwraps it and it's the stone head of a fox. Fox. And she's like, what, are you taking the piss? And he's like, what? Oh, she must be a she's magician. Transformed. She was, yeah, she was a demon this whole time and she's transformed back into her like true form or something. Fucking love that scene. But yeah, Taro then gets his dad to sign like a like a contract pretty much, doesn't he? To, what was it? Is it to kind of like Just basically saying what was said in the field, wasn't it? That he's re- he's giving him all the power, basically of of nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's an honorable honorary position. Like, it won't kill you. I think. Why I can't remember of. why he's exiled out of the castle at that point. What the old guy? <laughs> yeah, the old warlord. Was he kicked out then at that point? My mind's gone it- dead. Um, the main story is basically he goes insane and they. As long as he's insane, they don't care. They can well, just and- wander the fields forever. If he's not insane, then they're going to kill him because he's a threat to their power. There is that good so- scene where... Um, so the the jester kind of character is kind of... Is he, like, riling up the the the, the other uh, Taro's troops and they're all kind of, like, laughing? Mm. I can't... I'm trying to remember whose troops are who now because I'm not sure if it's... Um, I'm not going to help you. It's very confusing. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's like one of the one of the bands of troops are mocking Taro anyway, and I think the dad like gets a massive bow and arrow and just like <laughs> straight murders one of the. Oh, from right at the start, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just leans out the window and shoots a bow and arrow through the commander. <laughs> shoots an arrow, <laughs> sorry, through the commander, and then just pops back in his little hut. <laughs> I'm going away. But anyway, he leaves and then goes to Jiro's. But then before that, Jiro's already got like a, a letter from his brother saying like, pretty much don't let father in, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, he's gone mad. He's gone mad. He's, you know, and we're taking over kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, 
Taro's then killed by one of Jiro's generals. Uh, that was the Kuro well, that, Kuro Garani. Well, so he's they, murdered during the big huge. Well, they yeah. go to the third castle then, which is meant to be Saburo's castle, but because he's been dishonored and he's got to leave, all of his men have left there, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, basically, yeah. no one's there. So I think then the warlord, the older father warlord, then takes over the goes back to the castle with his yes. Men. Then a huge, massive, like bloodthirsty battle happens, which is awesome. But the way that Taro is killed, he's just shot in the back. You don't even see his face; it's just his back, and he's dead on the floor. Yeah. That's it. You don't it, see anything. It's not like no airs or grace. You don't see like his face or his ig- body being buried or anything like that. It's, it's, he's just ignominy, isn't it? Of just yeah. war, like. And um, after he's filmed, that's when killed. Then you get like le- like um, Kadai, Kadai, Lady Kadai, who then turns her attentions on to Jiro, um, with a great scene when she's like cutting at him with a knife, cutting at his neck, oh, yeah. and then like licking at it, and um, like an animal just kind of pushing him around, and um, kind of like pushes him onto the floor to have sex with him, and while kicking his helmet away, and so he's defenseless and stuff, and then. And then Locking getting him the doors to and stuff, yeah. lock him on the doors and getting him to kill his own wife Sue and stuff like that. It's so cool. Like it's very like you know, Lady Macbeth, I guess. Um, I love the, the way she's though, made like, up as well. Well, she's kind of in that like that. What was it? No, no, no. Well, I can't remember yeah. what we said. But anyway, she's um, she's got With those like eyebrows. Those, those eyebrows <laughs> at the top of the forehead. Yeah, they make it look all the rage like... back then. But I think they make her look like a demon because they look like kind of horns or something. Well, I think that's what a, maybe like, that's where that Noah thing comes into yeah. it, like that kind of look. It really but, um, works. What was I going to say? I was going to say. Something. And at that point, you basically just you know you get stuff like the jet, the the emperor and his fool, and the 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 is it the youngest son that goes with them, uh, Saburo. He um, they're kind of just wandering around these desolate landscapes that used to be his kingdom basically uh, like volcanic plains full of all that ashy kind of rock and pumice and like like well, I, stone I, and things I don't think you see Saburo the last time you see Saburo is when he's banished and he makes a deal with the other two warlords I don't think you then see him until near the end do you when he kind of comes uh, okay. back in yeah. I think it's you probably- see I think you see Tango, isn't it? Because Tango comes in and kind of... Because right. he remains loyal to the father. To the father, yeah, that's right. And see, it becomes I, like I a trio of Tango and the Fool and um, and the father, doesn't it? And then they're kind of like wandering around and then they go to that house where they find the blind boy. Yeah, so first they wander to a castle and the, the Empress slowly like, I recognise this castle, why do I recognise this castle? And slowly he realised that he it was a castle that he burnt down. Like, it could have been a place that he could hide out in now because no one's claimed it, but in his kind of ward or days he burnt it down. But this goes back then, to what you were saying about everything haunting him still. Yeah, like, and then he wanders into this um, old little, it's a little like hut, isn't it, that they're demanding entrance to that looks like on the side of like a barren mountain. And um, it's that scene where they're like, "Are you sick?" And then he's like, "No." And it's like, "Well, let us in then." And he's like, "No." <laughs> like, um, and the the guy in there has his the is he and he's the young he's the oldest son of a rival warlord, isn't he? Yeah, his the, sister in, is Sue. His sister Sue, yeah, who's married, who's married to, to Jiro. Jiro. Um, and he was blinded by the warlord by Hidor Hidatora. 
back in his warlording days and he was yeah. living like as a blind boy in this like ranchack shed basically and they beg for his kind of like um they beg for his kindness to let them stay and stuff like that like and it is absolutely just about the fact that this guy's horrible life has led to him having nothing at this point really <laughs> i guess it's not a happy film it's well, not. do you know? I, I'm. This is how stupid I am. I thought it was called Ran because he's <laughs> he's constantly running away all the time. <laughs> I didn't realise that. Like, so Ran kind of means chaos or turmoil, doesn't it? Or like, yeah, translation, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I think it's Ran, it, Ran rather yeah. than Ran. It's not Ran. Like I said, that's like he's constantly running away. But like, running I do away. like I do like his acting though. The because um, you've kind of got two styles of acting. You've kind of got more modern-ish kind of just acting, but then you've also kind of got that more theatrical, haven't you? Like, um, especially like by the warlord and maybe um, Lady Cadet. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? It's kind of very stilted, but then all of a sudden it will like be a flurry of movement and then it will yes. go back to being very yeah. still and there's barely any kind of like close-ups in this really I um, know, mostly wides isn't it it's mostly like wides and it's because it's i feel like it's shot like that old school theater like you're saying like you're seeing these two people on stage being very um still and then well, with like those flurries of like kind of like panic and flurries of like emotion and stuff. Well, the, the, the camera doesn't really move a whole lot. It's very no. static, and a lot of people like enter into frame and exit out of frame, as opposed to sometimes yeah. the camera following them in or following them out. So there's, I mean, that could add to it being feeling a bit slow. Maybe I mean I didn't think it felt. I thought it moved at quite a pace, but I have seen some people saying it's quite slow, but not necessarily meaning that to be a negative thing. Yeah, I would say it's deliberately slow. Yeah. Not like painfully slow. It's long. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's an investment to watch the film, but it's um it's not boring at any point. I'd, really. I'd say the one As- thing I regret is I didn't take in the music because I'm too busy reading the subtitles. <laughs> I didn't take in the music. I'm quite interested to hear what the music sounds like. I felt the kind of the same. I I was I was almost willing to say that like it doesn't have a lot of music, but then when you catch it you really hear it like yeah and it's it's this mix of like kind of like very traditional japanese type kind of soundtracky like like punctuating that kind of background sorrow almost but then it feeds in these kind of things that sound much more like like western like morricone kind of um types of like uh comp- composition and music and stuff that are tells you that you're watching a kind of 80s hot like not hollywood film but like a hollywood film kind of you know like mm-hmm. he is ma- he's making an international blockbuster you know he's um and i think the production seems to know that and the music seems to know that as well it's uh, fascinating <laughs> i, w- I want to watch it again i do like even though even though it's a long i want to watch it again because just watching that descent the lead character, what's the lead actor's name again? Um, Tatsuya. He's um, at, he, he was I think he's uh, he was fifty when they shot this. Yeah, he's, only, he's still alive. He's eighty eight now. Wow, because he's playing basically someone who's like eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, his kind of descent into like madness is so awesome. Like it's oh, yeah. so 
it, it like it it's not just like it's not a little it's not a little kind of subtle thing it's just literally like a body shutting down um he goes from looking not young in the film but he's looking like an emperor until until looking like an absolute haunted ghost of a man like a beggar you know on the street or something and part of that is absolutely the makeup they they ply him with like white makeup and deep lines on his face and, yeah, his eyes, and like not prosthetics eyes. but sunken eyes yeah and he definitely plays into that of just like letting his whole body just like drop with energy and he he just looks like the like the saddest kind of person just dragging around this hellscape of his own making like and just having that whole thing fall on him and his only companion is the fool who is basically taking the piss out of him at every point he can really even though yeah. with a lot of love there i think but really he's he's the the kind of fool spending his time just taking the piss really <laughs> and just saying like you know how stupid and dumb and and insane you are now really uh, like putting well, it's almost like the shoes on, the other f- on him, and well, it's almost like the yeah. shoes on the other foot now, isn't it? Now you're the shoe. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, but like there's one scene where, like you know, we said earlier, like he he goes to that uh, the house of the blind boy, but he's literally being carried by Tango, and he's like he's yeah. just drenched, like soaking. I don't even know if he's wet, but he just looks like he's yes, yeah, like a, like a, I don't remember a point he in water, but he looks like he's just drenched, and I don't know. Yeah, you're right. What's he's just completely on? just like like just drowned man like just drowned from himself because of that like I swear his that... hair gets longer as well I don't know if it's just his hair's coming out of the tight bun that it was in before and it's just yeah. slowly kind of shredding out he looked like a bit like Billy Connolly by the end <laughs> okay. he's unwinding I yeah. think that's um part of again the King Lear thing is King Lear's always kind of depicted in that kind of long white beard right. and long white hair as well and I think that's that's another thing they really played up with but also that's a um, that's a very thing in like like kind of Japanese cinema anyway the kind of the old master with the long white beard and stuff like that I think I think like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's definitely a product of Japanese cinema as well rather than anything like but they definitely play it up he, stuff. yeah totally um but they definitely play it up. He's not the master anymore. He's just like disheveled mess, and just the ma- the makeup is has to be just seen to be believed. And it, I think, maybe seeing photos might look a bit crazy, but actually just seeing it on film and moving and stuff like that works so well. Um, of just heightening whatever he was going for, heightening this weird, horrible world that he's invented for you to find this story in. It's, it's well, hard thought- to say it's anything else really. I thought he died at the very beginning because, like, he's having like a. They're all sitting down eating the I food, did. and he just kind of like, like I thought, oh, was he being poisoned or something? Has something yeah. happened to him? But no, he just kind of because he's old, he fell asleep. Yeah, and they put they put a little tree over him. <laughs> oh yeah, to kind of shade him. I forgot <laughs> about that. They cut down some. Which brother does that? Is it the blue brother? The blue brother. I d- it yeah. might be. I Is it Sub Zero? It wasn't Scorpion. Sub Zero, not or Scorpion. Ermac. <laughs> Mac. Is it Mac the red one? Yes. <laughs> See, if we'd just done that from the start, this would have been much easier to talk about. Oh, we've got Noob Sabot in there, the black one as well. I don't know if there the is a black one coming in. Yeah. Oh, well, you cracked the code. <laughs> what this film's really about. Mortal Kombat! I still need to um, watch that. No, I don't really. No, you don't. No, you really don't. <laughs> No one needs to watch it. 
He, um, Kurosawa totally believed. I just did it. Kurosawa totally <laughs> believed that he, this was going to be his last film as well. He said, like, I put all my energy into this. So, like, you know, I put everything I have into making this. Um, and I think you can just tell that this is a guy just, like, fighting with his... The I don't know, just one refinement of anything he's done beforehand, really, any of his previous, like, um, samurai films putting that into colour because most of his films are black and white up until his like later ones like um and just and boy did he use the colour when he got the opportunity like have it <laughs> I know and watching it felt like I was watching a colour film for the first time <laughs> it felt <laughs> like like audiences watching like Oz or something because it just like I've the just discovered was used green that people don't green use everywhere. it you know? we're just so used to it now and this guy's like look at this colour <laughs> what you can do <laughs> well i guess you know um, if you if you've only made what well, i think he only made four films from like seven from the late 60s till what the late 80s so like sure i guess you know color was a new thing for him i guess a, a new tool thing to play with yeah, yeah maybe um so where did we get to in the plot like our rubbish plot synopsis that we've been doing <laughs> We're stumbling through a volcanic landscape of death that we're trying to find the plot about. Um, I think, so, there's, we're basically at the point, there's a second battle, isn't there? So, Lady Lady Kadai is is now with Jiro. Jiro is hunting Sue, and uh, Sabura's army comes back into Jiro's territory to find him. Um... And Jira also finds out that you say the other warlords are coming in as well to yeah. attack him. Like, well, he's made so, a, he's made a deal with them, though, hasn't he? I think. No, I think it's I, the brothers make a deal first. Oh, I thought Sabura did rival because warlords. When, oh, I thought they made a deal with the rival warlords earlier on, but I don't know. I could be wrong. And then you get kind of Sabura then gets really alarmed when is it? You keep calling him Tango. <laughs> comes in. And um, he tells him that his father's gone mad, and Sabura's like, "Oh right, we need to go rescue my dad." No, it's, they, they, some, they like, find the fool, don't they? In the um, in the kind of volcanus area, volcanus—that's not the word. What is it? That, it'll do. <laughs> it'll do. But anyway, they and then uh, yeah, they ride off, don't they, to try and find the father? But then while a, a battle ensues between Jiro's uh, red team and the Sabura's blue team who then hide in the hide in the woods in the woods and just yeah. like shoot the shit out of them shoot the shit out. <laughs> honestly yeah like yeah um they really do that's the scene when there's all the the, the kind of charging with the horses aren't they and yeah you pretty just much just shot. see horses like horses feet just galloping like past the camera and just bodies just falling just non-stop falling yeah you don't see much blood yeah. But like when you do see blood in this film, I love it. It's that proper like oh, poster brilliant. paint, like yeah. bright red poster paint, and it just spurts out of people in the most wonderful way. There's a bit I, I think it's when la- the lady kills someone and they're lying on the floor and there's just blood going tss, 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 oh, yeah. into the air. Like, I do like it when later wonderful. on when Lady Kaday gets killed and like they do the, that's one time when they use the sword and um yeah and it like it does that kind of like quick pan up before like. You see the sword like slash and just the blood like mm. perfectly hits the wall. Yeah, that's fucking good. This film is good. It is very good. Uh, 
so Saburo runs off. I keep wanting to call him Sabutio. <laughs> I don't know what Sabutio is. <laughs> it's the football Gary flicky with your finger. Oh yeah, the little weird men on rollies. Yeah. Um, he runs off to go find his dad, and Jiro sends like snipers off after him. So Saburo finds his dad, and he's like, "Hello, dad. You know, I'm going to save you." And then he just gets sniped. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, because the dad kind of has the. It's a bit like Grandpa Simpson when he hangs out with Homer, like when Homer's about to die. Well, Homer thinks he's going to die from the blowfish. Okay. And they're like, how about Go a game on. of hacky sack? You know, and he kind of bonds with his dad for it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they have that it's little like moment. That. But then he's murdered straight away. And then because of... <laughs> he can't get over the, you know, the one son that were kind of like... He's had a bit of a week. <laughs> forgave him. Like, he just dies there and then. But it's like the most yes. proper, like, like arms in the air, like... Ah! <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Theatrical kind of death. Ah! Ah! And just kind of like yeah, falls down dead upon upon um as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, great. Uh, that's so at that point everyone's dead. So <laughs> you don't see because then Sue, uh, Lady Cadet has had has now had Sue murdered. Who is yes Jiro's old wife. yeah because Sue and her brother are kind of adventuring. Her brother's the blind guy. Yeah. Uh, she realises that she... I don't know, she left the stove on. Why does she go home? Oh, because she wants a flute. She Sad forgets flute. a flute. So she but goes yeah, home to because, get a flute. Because I, think, I think Jiro's commander, I've forgotten his name, who's the one who's meant to kill her, I think he warns her yeah. that they're trying to murder her, so you've got to go. Yeah, then I yeah think, that's where they leave. I think, but I think she goes, Lady Cadet sent another team out to go and kill her. Yes. So when she goes to get her missing flute, um, she goes back to the little blind guy's hovel and she's ambushed by Jiro's assassins then and killed. Yeah. Um, at the same but, time... But, but, but I feel bad for him because obviously he's got no one around. He's got no one. She gives him a picture the, to keep him company. I'm like... Bleakest fucking ending. Because I know. <laughs> Just like, come on. Yeah, he gives him a picture of Buddha to keep him... Um, company while she goes off to case get a flute <laughs> um <laughs> it sounds so silly saying it out loud but it works <laughs> um so jiro then goes jiro's army's ran runs back to the first castle he's been chased by one of the boar lords the outer warlords um and cur- cur- uh, the general uh, confronts Lady Sue up in the first castle and Lady Fru- Lady Sue- Lady Cadet. Lady Cadet, sorry, yeah. He confronts her and she admits basically that the entire thing was a plot because uh, Hidatora was the worst warlord in the world and he and her and the whole clan, the Ichimonji clan. I mean, it's, they, it was um, pretty obvious what she was doing. And- it wasn't like it was, you know, it's, it's very operatic that she wasn't really... Yes. You know, the way she manipulates um, Jiro, like saying, you know, now we've had sex, I don't think I can bear another woman that has even had sex with you being alive anymore. That's why she must die. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... And she was like, well, okay, yeah, I guess that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> Although when it, when he thinks that the head's going to be revealed, either he he knows that she's not being killed and that's why he's gripping hold of that wooden kind of little table. 
Yeah. Or yeah. he was expecting to see her dead head and was just yeah, like I think he was himself. prepping himself. Yeah. yeah, he was bracing, like bracing for impact. Um, yeah, so at that point, she reveals that it was all a plot to fuck everything up. She doesn't care if she wins. She doesn't care if she dies. Um, she just hopes that every single member of his family and his whole kingdom crumbles to the ground. Which, yeah, fair does. play. <laughs> girl, girl, I just think, I think just think girl boss, basically. That yeah, is yeah, totally. <laughs> Go for it. Like, um, that point, uh, the general gets really mad and kills her, as, as you said. Like, that's the blood splattering on the wall. And at that point, the whole army kills each other as well. Like, um, Jiro, the, the, the general, um, all of Jiro's men all just die in battle with the, uh, war, the kind of warlord, the invading warlord's army. Um, that's the end of the film. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, the end of the film is you see the blind Yeah, the blind guy the on the edge yeah. of like the demolished castle just kind of like staggering around. He looked like a puppet. I was thinking is that a puppet? He, yeah, he does, does look like the way like... he kind of hangs. Yeah. Like yeah. And then he then he drops his picture so he's got nothing now. <laughs> You're like, "Oh." And you think, "Oh, is he just going to fall off the edge?" But no, he didn't fall off the edge. Well, we just that's it's like the spinning top in Inception. Like like does he fall or not? What's, so, the, what's the what's his end? It just literally, this film ends with a, the distance in the distance shot of this blind guy just alone, silhouetted against silhouetted against like these ruins, um, on the precipice precipice of like these precipice? castles. Yeah, precipice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, everyone's dead and a funeral procession. <laughs> like I don't know. It's so like so you- it's so bleak. The last time you see Tango is when he's carrying the dead body of the warlord and Sabiro. Is that it? Because you find out that they technically won the battle or whatever, but is that it? Because like, then they have... I think that's it. Got, yeah. So, he, so few- does his army then just disband? Is that it? Is that the end for their army? Do they do- join another? I don't, I don't. I have no idea I think, what the politics are. I think there's is. no... They wouldn't be attacking the invading warlords there's only yeah. about like they've only got like 20 men by that point haven't yeah. they? like if that i think they're, they're they're defeated it's the end of this kingdom i think what we're seeing but they um, run up to him go we won <laughs> <laughs> we won i guess but no it's very good i mean it's I, just nihilist isn't it like yeah. it's just just that image of the warlord in his that that third castle, and there's just flaming arrows, just kind of just <laughs> just going left and right of him all the time, and then he's kind of like he's trying to find a dagger everywhere. That to, scene to when yeah, when try he's and in murder his... himself, and he keeps like he's because his own sword broke, <laughs> yes. and then he, everything he, he finds is not a knife broke. or a blade. I'm surely he yeah. could grab an arrow and just like cut his own throat or something, but. I, that's so funny when he goes out to fight those people off and his sword breaks and he just kind of looks at them and turns around and goes back inside <laughs> so yeah and it's it's that meme you know with the dog with the house on fire and everything's fine <laughs> that, like it, he's just in that castle like with everything on fire around him and arrows going in and out the windows and stuff falling down and people killing themselves in different rooms and he's just wandering back and forth going oh my god because <laughs> oh, no. you know you know before all that before he goes into that castle he he and his men are like really hungry and stuff and then i think tango finds them and he brings them food okay does he say, come to Saburo, he'll look after you? And he's like, no, I don't want to be anywhere near him or whatever. Is he still... His... 
Was it Saburo that, or was it another? One it was Saburo that broke the arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I so know that. But, that like, but I but think like, that's what you mean. He didn't want to get go to him for any help because he was he was um, dishonorable or something. Yeah, I didn't know if it was him or one of the other warlords. I can't remember. It was like basically someone said he could take refuge there, and I forgot which one it was. But and he's like, no, he was rude at dinner. Didn't you see <laughs> yeah. what he did? <laughs> All my friends were there, and he was a stubborn little boy. <laughs> but I like I like the scene when they find him in the you know in the that open kind of volcanic kind of area, and he's like lying there dead, and he's trying to crawl into that like hole or cave. Yes, <laughs> this film's so great. This is so good. It is really good. <laughs> I like it when the fool makes him a little silly hat out of grass and then like his general comes up and just gets just takes it. <laughs> that gives the fool a little look like stop it. Like <laughs> we're meant to respect this guy. <laughs> there's a there's so many phrases in it as well, like it's like um um is there no god or Buddha in this world? Uh God and Buddha are nothing but mysterious urchin mischievous urchins and they're so bored in heaven that they enjoy watching men die like worms. <laughs> <laughs> um is it so amusing to see and hear human beings cry and scream and human beings seek sorrow, not happiness, and prefer suffering to peace. All this fucking like lines from this film are just so I, Kurosawa was in a bad place when he wrote this. <laughs> like this <laughs> And um just just that kind of like Sidney Lumet describes him as like the Beethoven of movie directors like um, and he says how like he plays everything with that kind of um, mastery of control mm-hmm. and uh, for him to kind of take something like this you know a movie that he painted you know you already said that he painted like the, the film out before making it he just took those paintings and created this over the top like surrealist depressing like story analogous to kind of the idea of of nuclear war like the whole like the the fact that half it's set on like this kind of volcanic wasteland is not an accident you know it's about fallout it's about like the end of the world you know like um the fact that this technology of the you know the guns in this but in our life we're talking like like massive weapons creating just a fallout where no one gets what they want and all the sins come round again um, for whatever you try and build, you know, whatever capital you try and build throughout your life will come and grab you. Is um, a hell of a dark just fucking thing. And you know, like Beethoven, when Beethoven wrote his darkest music, it's a, it's a master, like, writing this, the darkest thing he could write, you know. Yeah. And, and just playing it with so pristine kind of effort that it creates a masterpiece, really. Um. I just, yeah, I just, I just sent you a link to um, in the chat to uh, his storyboards. But if you look at the picture, it's like you see three cameras with the three DPs and stuff like. That. Oh my god! Yeah, how did he shoot? So like it's that? literally the same angle, pretty much. But with yeah. The, but if you have a look at the link, you'll see like his um, storyboards. They're amazing. I'd love to get like one framed or something. Yeah, so they're just there are they're obviously painted. Like, I'm guessing watercolors. I don't know, but like it's they're not washed out. They're bold colors. Um, they're really rough. They're kind of sketchy as well. They they um 
they look frenzied almost. Mm, oh yeah, they look manic. You know, um, just just the use of red alone, like the amount of yeah. red, like red is such a fucking hellish color, isn't it? And it's like yeah, those scenes with like the grass wafting and the there's just hundreds of horses and with flags on their backs and well, if you, if you, you got, think about it, like red and yellow, like together like make orange and they're like fire colors aren't they so it's almost like they're the destructive kind of the two destructive characters but then you've kind of got blue which is like the calming cooling one even though he seemed a bit more brash at the beginning he was just trying to help his dad really wasn't he like you know well he was war yeah he was giving brutal warning he's enough of your like poxy kind of like philosophy you've got to you can break three arrows yeah. <laughs> like it's not it's it doesn't mean anything if you try this can this can end you can't just give it all away i think was he's meant to be his warning that shot of uh is it jiro on the floor with lady could die over him that painting and that just there the wafting of the clothes that kind of spread out below them all their robes and stuff like that and you oh, got yeah. her face painted white with the red eyes and the eyebrows and stuff like that with a knife to her neck like it's i don't have that in my head that I could picture a film, you know, like that's. I, what do you mean? I if you were to how... write one, you mean, or and then? Yeah, yeah. Like right, that's yeah. not how I I picture stuff, you know. That's what separates me from a, being a director. I don't have that, like that. I can picture how stuff looks. It's amazing to me that he could draw the like draw these years before actually making the film. Uh, that he has it all laid out, how he wants things to look, how he wants things to feel, like that it all narratively connects is. Well, it was obviously it's remarkable a, films get made. <laughs> it was obviously a passion project. You, know, you just you yeah. have directors like you know I, who just have like you know look at uh, Sonny Kubrick. He he was trying to make AI for like yeah for a long long time, didn't he? And obviously, sadly, he passed away before he could make it. But you know, he probably did a lot of work on that film. You know, probably did storyboards and all kinds of stuff. Mm. Um, and thankfully, he got to see this through yeah and I think the world's better for it I think yeah, totally. how brilliant that this was made and easily could have not done you know the, the story I was trying to tell at the beginning was the fact that he almost just disappeared into into not Igdomy maybe but maybe he felt like Igdomy maybe mm. he felt like the wandering you know like um, emperor in this like um, with all his friends and family his collaborators all abandoned him Maybe he felt the same like this. Like I think it's easy to draw those parallels, um, and quite if it wasn't really for, I don't want to, you know, give too much credit for them. But the kind of new seventies filmmakers who wanted to see Kurosawa make films, they helped you know make this. They helped this being created really. Um, well, yeah, and I, mean, I think that's a really cool story. Well, I mean, if you think like long films weren't made for a while like they you know kind of like you had your 90 minute kind of films but then kind sure. of like you, you know your capolas and that started to come and started to do their three hour long films and that they kind of wanted to do epic films again didn't they yeah and like you know and what a better person to kind of come back and start doing these epic films again i also think as well like we're talking the 70s and then into the early 80s it's a time before like the internet i know that sounds silly but like if you're sitting in like i don't know san francisco and you've just written your new, you know, couple of film, and you go like, "I love that Japanese filmmaker that I used to grow up watching his films." What happened to him? You don't just type into Google like, like Kurosawa yeah, yeah, and find out what he's doing. You, you know, have to 
literally find out. You have to go and search for them, don't you? Yeah. Like, and it takes people of means, you know. It takes people who have been successful filmmakers who have money to have, like, people, maybe people working for them and connections to the industry as well. Uh, maybe connections to the Japanese industry as well to be able to kind of hunt him down, you know, friends and colleagues, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon to go find yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a product of the kind of 70s boom in New Hollywood that they had that ability to go find him and they had the avenues of funding to be able to get him to like make films again and he did <laughs> it's wonderful and he made like like kind of the latter part of his career after this um this wasn't his last film he kept on making films into the kind of 90s um i think it was steven spielberg was a big pusher of some of his last films as well as long with like um scorsese so he made dreams which scorsese is actually in <laughs> um he <laughs> made a rap- shark's tail <laughs> good point <laughs> he's um he made rhapsody in august as well uh and he made uh is it madeo i think maybe was the last one and he was still working right up right up until the end he was um working on writing scripts he ended up getting quite injured he ended up breaking his spine so he couldn't move anymore so his last few years wow. were like he was in a wheelchair but he kept on writing so he wrote two scripts one's called the sea is watching and one's called after the rain both of those got made after his death after the rain actually stars his grandson in one of the roles which i think is really cool um and he never got to see them made but after his death you know they they've still been made and it's he's undeniably the titan of like japanese film really of out of everything well Um, i mean especially to like westerners like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like on the international stage, really. It'd be di- I think it'd be different maybe if you actually I mean, in Japan. I'm, I'm trying to think ideas. of names that pop up into bed. Takeshi Mike's one. Uh, sure, think of sure. Ones. I mean, crazy career. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I think it's amazing. Um, I think he's amazing, and I I want to keep watching. I need to keep watching his films. I have not seen enough, and I need to keep watching more. I think like. Yeah, 100%. I need to watch Hidden Fortress. That's the embarrassing one I haven't yeah. seen. Yeah, well, I, I've only seen the two. I hold my hands up. I've only seen. Um, <laughs> uh, what did we watch? My mind's gone dead. Rashomon. Yeah, so I've only seen Rashomon yeah. and uh, and Ran, or Ron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely, I need to see the Seven Samurai and. Um, Seven Samurai, good. Another long one. He didn't make short, like, he did not make short films. Seven Samurai is like three and a half hours long. <laughs> probably what, uh, Rashomon's probably his shortest one, maybe. Yeah, it, it, I think it is. That's only 88 minutes. And I think yeah. Throne of Blood, his, like, Macbeth one is only an hour, it's hour 50, I think, like, so that's a normal length for a film. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he made epics and it was crazy he came back and made another two, I think, really. So what would you give this one out of five then? I've been struggling actually because I need to watch it again. Really, I need to watch it in one sitting and really just absorb it. it I didn't have the best watching experience of it. So, um, but over the last like, kind of day and two days, I've let it sink in. And I think honestly, it's five. Like, why isn't it? Like, it's yeah. It's why is like sometimes there's a film that just demands a five. I think like, and you're watching it going, yeah, fuck, like. How isn't this a five? If, if any film has to be a five, look at it. Like, just spend some time with it. It's not... I think maybe it's the fact that it's so depressing made me a little bit lower on it when it finished. Um, it, I don't think you finished this film with a good attitude. 
Um, and I think let, then letting that sink in over the, over the last day and a half, whatever, made me go, yeah, um, that was pretty special. One of the more special films I've watched. Yeah, I think for this for this uh, decade, for some reason, I've just ended up having to watch a lot of the films on my laptop for various reasons. So, like, you know, I think, you know, Moonstruck and uh, Ruthless People and stuff like that I've watched on the laptop. But the last yeah. few I've managed to watch on my big screen TV. So, yeah, <clears throat> watch Do the Right Thing on the uh, big screen. But this I watched on the big screen. And, you know, you can't watch this, like, on a laptop. If you if you watch this on a laptop or something, what are you doing? You've got to watch this on, like, the <laughs> biggest screen you could possibly see it on. That's it. I watched this on my my monitor on my computer actually, so it wasn't the best watching experience. So I'm going to give it another watch. Yeah, you've got a big screen TV, haven't you? Downstairs, get it on there. I do. <laughs> I do. I, I do. do. But we also have bands that play. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it would drown out the TV I thought, if I watched it down there when I was trying Bluetooth, to watch this. You got some Bluetooth headsets or something you can put on, and you. Yeah, I probably could actually. Yeah, TV. didn't think of that. But yeah, I'd give it a, a five as well out of out of five. Very good film. Yeah, and like you said, I'd, I'd I would like to watch it again and kind of probably pay more attention to the visuals because I also like just read because he's very he's quite wordy. Is Akira Kurosawa? There's a lot of dialogue, I think, in his films. <laughs> sure. Or, I mean, or I'm probably just noticing that just because I'm having to read it all. But like, <laughs> but like, I'd like to just kind of like. It's poetic as well, though. Taking, it's, it's not no, very simple. Like it's it's flowery. I yeah, think. but I'd like to just take in the visuals because um, I thought it looked I thought it looked really nice. Yeah, it does. So, um, what are we talk about next week then? Well, yeah, I didn't. I've said it before, but I didn't quite realise our two bonus episodes were both Japan when we put them together. But we um, we're going from like the you know the great last epic um, of of this to the first great great epic of of animation maybe i'm sorry but um, you could have had a better setup than that you could say we're going from one akira to another <laughs> okay we're going from one akira to another <laughs> anyway sorry all that stays in yeah yeah we we're doing akira which we'll talk about it the oh, impact yeah. this film had it cannot be Cannot be downplayed. <laughs> like, I will, it really cannot. Like we we have seen Akira. Akira's part of our like. Yeah, Akira's our rewatch. Yeah, our re-watch. rewatch classics. Yeah, I mean, I'll, st- um, I'll we'll talk about it next week, but I still will never forget the first time I ever saw Akira. It just I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, I mean, what, that in a good yeah. way. I was like, uh, you know, as a ten-year-old boy, when anime first came like over to our shores, like in the early like early to mid nineties. Sure, we'll um, talk about it. Manga, yeah, the manga just, company. It was just like what? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Kira. I had not seen it. I don't think I've seen it since I was a teenager. Um, and I will I'm say that the my same. And I've my overriding it. memory of it is I didn't understand it, but I liked it. <laughs> so. It's one of those films I know I love. I've seen. I haven't seen it probably in about twenty years, and I've owned it on video. DVD, Blu-ray, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and I haven't yeah. watched it on DVD. I haven't watched it on Blu-ray. So, um... <laughs> I own the comic as well. So. Have you? What? Like all of it? Yeah, I had a, I had a, 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 a pirate flag version. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you sailed the high seas for it. 
Seldizes. I've never read it though. I'm not going to read well, it. Well, I think you should read I'll it for read next it. week. <laughs> I'll start now. I just hide away. It's that mad, like, black and white art, isn't it? But it's, like, hyper-detailed, and you're, like, thinking, oh, my God, this might be a visual headache to to read. It's, like, like from hell, I find that book really hard to read because it's just black and white. It's just so much detail, and you're thinking, oh, no. And, like, the panels are tiny, though, in From Hell, and you're, like, going, oh, God, it's so wordy. and (laughs) Alan Moore. Anyway, we'll talk about Akira next week. It should be a mess when we talk about <laughs> <laughs> um, To Taika Waikiti hands off. That's all. Oh, uh, is, is he still <laughs> I don't scheduled know. to make that film? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? We'll talk about we'll talk about the remake. We'll have to because it's so it's so intrinsic to the fallout of this film <laughs> that they keep trying to make it like. But um yeah, Akira, I can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to to rewatch that. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a YR, not a your. And yeah, don't forget if the picture's bad, always adjust your tracking.